All right, this is a, uh, I've got, I felt like this was a word for somebody here this morning, apart from the word that the sermon I'm going to have, so it's a sermon that it's not unusual for preachers to have multiple sermons in one speaking, but um, this is from Song of Songs, chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. This is uh, the maiden speaking. She says, as an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight, I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to, this, to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I'm sick with love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. And uh, I want to focus on verse 6 real quick. So this, the, the picture, this is a picture of a bridegroom holding his bride. And I imagine like a dip, you know, after the first dance, dipping your bride. You get your left hand under her head, your right hand is holding her up, embracing her. But these two different, the hands are, have two different functions. And so if you're not familiar with Song of Songs, what it can represent, the bridegroom represents Jesus and the bride represents his church and also can represent us individually. And so when the right hand of God embraces you, this is when you feel his presence, when he, you have an encounter with Jesus, he heals you like something physically, like you can see it, all right? You can see his hand in your life. That's the, that's the right hand. But then you have the left hand that you can't see. I can't see my left hand right now. It's, it's behind my head. And so the left hand represents what God is doing sometimes that you don't even know that he's doing in your life. That's not to be revealed until later, but also the left hand reveals how he's renewing your mind. His hand is under your head. And so there's a two, there's usually two steps to transformation. The one is the right hand where you encounter the Lord. You encounter his presence. Maybe he, he, you know, you experience some emotional healing. You're going, you're going through inner healing, whatever. And then the second part of that is you, you learn to think in a different way. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is the left hand of God under, transforming your mind. And this is the less uh, ex, usually exciting part of transformation. <laughs> because this is what takes some discipline. This is what takes a little bit of I'm not going to think that. I'm not going to, to believe that. Well, you have to make it, it's a choice. It's simply choosing to believe in a different way, but you have to know what the truth is to actually renew your mind. So that's why we, we read the, God's word. That's why we know what his promises to us are, it's so that we can know, recognize, first of all, a lie when it comes around, but also believe the opposite. So renewing your mind is not just stopping believing a lie, but it's, also, it's repenting from believing a lie into believing the truth. And so this is God's left hand. And I, I want to, for some of you, I think you're in this left hand stage where he's renewing your mind. His le- but his hand is on your life. You may feel like, what happened to that season when I was getting blasted by the love of God and all these manifestations were happening or whatever well, his, he's never let go of you. His left hand is under your head. He's transforming. The, this is the work of the transformation of, of your mind. And so the encounter is, is to 
help you through the process. He gives you grace. He gives you himself to help you with that process. So know this, and this, when it says, like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight, I sat in his shadow. This tree is speaking of, uh, it says there's an apple tree. Imagine an apple tree in the forest. You go out and, you know, into the woods. You, You don't really find fruit trees in just the middle of a forest, right? They're usually orchards. And so what they're saying about Jesus is he, there's no man like him in the history of the earth, and there, there never will be. And that he is the one that, had, that bears fruit. And you sit under the shade of the cross, and you eat the fruit of the cross. The fruit of the cross is life and liberty that Jesus purchased for you. So he's inviting you to sit, under, to sit in the shade, to be hidden in Christ with him. All righty. We can go to uh, the next slide. I think that's the last slide. <laughs> All right, next. Yeah, y'all didn't see that, right? Okay, y'all did. All right, invitation. Anyways. All right, we can go to the next one. Daniel, if you want to come up here and see if you can find my sermon up here, that'll be. All right, so I wanted to uh, read from the parable of the I know where it's at in the Bible. Here we go. So we're going to turn in Mark chapter 4. So we're going to be reading verses 1 through 12, Mark chapter 4. He began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, listen to this, behold, the sower went out to sow. There we go. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and birds came and devoured it. You can go to the next one. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, who has, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. All right. So the parable of the farmer scattering seed. So sometimes we, uh, the first, when we first read Scripture, we always want to Apply it to ourselves before we're like, man, I've got a friend that really needs to hear this. <laughs> we were, man, that guy, my, my roommate, wish they heard this sermon. And so, but we usually apply portions of this parable to unbelievers. 
but Jesus instructs us to apply it to ourselves. So as believers, think about in this context, as believers, where do we have these four different types of heart? So bearing fruit is never a problem with the seed, but with the soil it falls upon. Ephesians chapter 3, uh, it says that, pray that through God's spirit that he would strengthen you in your inner man, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend together with all the saints what is the height, depth, width, and breadth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And so when it's saying that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, another way to put that is there's parts of our heart that are still in unbelief. There's parts of our heart that need Jesus to evangelize those unbelieving parts of our heart, so to speak, as believers. And this is the process, transformation, maturity, but it also applies to this, this parable of, of the, the different types of soil. So bearing fruit is never a problem with the seed, but with the soil it falls upon. We want to be good soil, but this is one of the keys about good soil. Good soil has been broken up. What has been hidden underneath has now been exposed and turned up. So good soil usually means there's either, you have a humble heart or you've been humbled and now you have a humble heart. <laughs> but there's been, a, there's been a purifying, there's been a turning, there's been an exposing of what has been hidden. Jesus came to expose what's in the darkness, right? He's the light. And in John 3, he says, you know, men love darkness rather than the light. That's why they... they, they keep doing their evil deeds. They love light rather than darkness. And they, but, but Jesus makes us a promise. He says there's nothing that's hidden that won't be revealed. And so like we either expose our hearts to God now or we expose it later after death. And I'm telling you, you want to do it right now. <laughs> you want to do it right now. And he's giving us the invitation. You, um, we're in a in a time of grace where there's mercy, but after death there's going to be uh, a, either a time for judgment for those that don't believe or a time for reward for faithfulness as believers. But that's when it will be all laid bare and the rewards will be handed out. So good soil has been broken up and it's been exposed and turned up. And so don't look at... Um, this is a lot easier said than done. I know this from personal experience, but don't look at your weaknesses being exposed or, or being in a time of weakness as, as necessarily a bad thing because what it does is it turns you uh, to Jesus. Jack Frost, um, he's a minister. He's not the legendary character. Uh, but he, he said that you know, when, when, when you have somebody that shares their weaknesses, typically you're not like, oh, man, he's weak. <laughs> you're, you, your honor, respect for that person actually goes up because uh, and as far as Christians, when somebody exposes their weakness, what it does is it actually glorifies the Lord because you're like, man, look at this person's life, but this really was the work of God in their life. You know, there's nothing, Ephesians said that, Salvations of God that no man may boast. That no man may boast. We don't have, this is all God's work in our lives. 
He came after us. There's no one that seeks after God. There's no one righteous. No, not one. And so the, the fact that you're seeking God is because God first actually tugged on your heart and said, seek me. And so we thank God for everything he, he's done for us. Now, the part of this humbling is Jesus says of this himself. He says, I'm the rock and the one, he said, I'm the cornerstone and the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush them. So what is he talking about when he says this? Well, what he's saying is if you choose to fall upon me, you'll be broken, probably humbled. But if you choose not to follow me, that in the end, that, that rock, that cornerstone will crush you. So it's either be broken or actually destroyed. And so he's talking about at the judgment. You don't want to be on the wrong side of God. You don't want to be aligned with the devil and his forces when Jesus comes or when you face him after you die. And so the choice is I can fall upon the rock, upon the cornerstone, and live a life of humility and brokenness and weakness that God's strength may be manifested in my weakness. That's the invitation. He's, he's never asked us to be strong. He's only asked us to have courage, right? And, this, and so he told, he told Joshua, be strong and be courageous. And I think Joshua's response was, if I'm reading between the lines, he's like, he says, I'm not like Moses and I can't, what am I supposed to do? And, and so God starts encouraging Joshua. He's like, listen, you're going to part through the, the Jordan River just like Moses parted through the Red Sea. That way you're going you're gonna to know that I'm with you just as, a, as I was with Moses. And then before Moses died, he had Moses pray for Joshua and impart the spirit of wisdom upon Joshua. But God had to tell Joshua four times in chapter one, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. And I've, I recognize this even here lately with having children, that courage is, is so much not about the absence of fear. It's about the fact that you're choosing to do something in the face of fear. That's what courage is. So when you choose to believe God and your weakness is right here in your face or your lack of courage is right here in your face, the fact that you just, you may be shaking and trembling to take a step forward, but that's courage. Courage isn't bravado. Courage is, um, there's a quote that says, sometimes courage is that whisper at the end of the day that says, I will try again tomorrow. That's what courage is. And so there's four types of heart in this parable. There's the hard heart. There's not much soil. The bird steals the seed. You have a hollow or shallow heart. There's no root or depth. There's the half heart. This is the concerns of the world choke out the seed. And then you have a whole heart, which is the good soil. The hard heart. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So this is Jesus explains the parables to his disciples. So this is the explanation of it. So with this first soil, we actually, we see the activity of Satan with the hard heart. 
The birds of the air steal the seed. And the birds of the air speaks of Satan manipulating and confusing what we hear. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. thought I had my Bible up here. I was like, what? This is Jessica's Bible. It looks, looks the same on the outside over here. Yeah, it's got the same stuff on the inside too. <laughs> All right, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, maybe read through 6, but it says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You could just say la on that. <laughs> You were dead, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. So he's paralleling death with walking according to the ways of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, everybody say, but God. Being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I think verse 6 is the one thing we, we sometimes forget about. We remember, man, we, Jesus saved me. But then we forget, I'm actually seated at the right hand of God in Christ. You're in two places at the same time, if you didn't know that. Your spirit, man, is not constrained by time or distance. All right, I'll just leave you all with that. So it talks about verse 2, it says, the prince of the power of the air. So... What's the, the main way Satan steals seed from you is he lies to you, right? He says, did God say this? You have uh, Edgar Allan Poe, and, I, and I, when I think of the birds of the air about this parable, I think that they're ravens. I used to lifeguard on Hilton Head Island, and we saw ravens. They were crap. They, those birds are smart. They actually, I just saw a... Uh, some kind of clip that said ravens are actually as smart as seven-year-olds. That's, that's smart. And so, I would, you know, I'm sitting in my stand, and I would watch ravens fake people out all the time. You know, they got, they got their picnic sitting on the blanket, and the ravens, you know, they see that food over there, and they're just walking away from the people. They turn, you know, and it's, as soon as people turn around, whew, bam. They got, that, they got that peanut butter cracker or whatever it is. And they would out, and then they would work in teams. I mean, I saw one raven was like fluttering its wings in front of a person, and another raven came behind, stole the food. I was like, man, these guys are good. But they're clever. They're deceiving. And I always 
have pictured these birds of the air. I mean, they're ravens. And uh, Edgar Allan Poe has this poem. It's called The Raven. And in that poem, there's a line that says, is there balm in Gilead? And this, what the, the purpose, if you've never read this poem, there's this raven that's tormenting this man with the, the words, nevermore. And, he, and, and the, this man says, is there balm in Gilead? Meaning, is there healing? And the raven says, nevermore. That's what the devil says. Am I ever going to get out of this? Nevermore. Am I ever going to see breakthrough? Am I ever going to see the promises of God? Nevermore. And then we get tormented and then we start believing the raven. We start believing the birds of the air. That's why there's such warfare. There's such a battle over the airwaves, over narratives, over rhetoric, over language, over definitions. There's a battle in the air. Because you control language, you control definitions, you control rhetoric, you control culture. Ultimately, you're controlling people. But Jesus is about just declaring the truth. The truth is what sets people free. John chapter 8, the truth sets people free. Steve Backlund, another minister who's I admire, he's, he said, anything that's not, any thought that's not glistening with hope is under the influence of Allah. Any thought that's not glistening with hope is under the influence of Allah. So if you're having thoughts that are not very hope-filled, it's time to get some new thoughts. It's time to have a different thought. And just choose to have a different thought. And once you start training your mind, it gets a little easier to have a different thought the next time. And when, once you do it the third and fourth time, guess what? It, just, it starts getting easier to actually think in a different way. But that first one, you, feel, you might feel like you're, you're chopping wood in the redwood forest and you just got a dull axe. But then God starts sharpening your axe. He starts sending you help. And you start having different thoughts but this seed is on top of the soil and it's not attached. And so God's word has got to have root in you. Your life has to be built around God's word and on God's word and the principles of what God says. So that's the hard heart. It doesn't receive it. It's, you hear it, but it can be stolen away because the devil says, nevermore, or did God say, and, you're, and you just, because there's... Uh, no attachment to the truth, he can just fly away with it. The hollow heart, these are the ones that are sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. I've got a gravel driveway, and, if, and it has some little bit of, grass that grows in it. And when we're getting a lot of rain, that grass gets high. I actually have to weed it. So I'm just like, man, I got to weed eat that stuff. But when it's dry, when they not have any rain, that's the first grass that, that dies is in that gravel driveway. And this is because it's, it's, it's shallow. It doesn't have any root. That gravel doesn't allow it to attach. So 
the hollow heart actually pertains to the activity of the flesh. All right, so you have Satan is trying to get at you, but you also have your, your flesh that you have to deal with, your sin nature, the old man that's got to die on the cross. <laughs> so with the hollow heart, there's no perseverance. There's no ability to withstand trial and testing. And this is the thing about God. He's never going to ask you to do something that you can actually do yourself. He's going, he's going to ask you to do the impossible. When Jesus cursed the fig tree for, bearing, for not bearing fruit out of season, isn't that strange? Y'all remember that, that story? There's a, there's a story where there's a fig tree, and it's not fig-bearing season. But he curses the tree for not bearing fruit. Why does he do that? It's because Jesus has the right to ask the impossible out of us. It was impossible for that, for that fig tree to bear fruit. But God expects the impossible to, to, be, to be worked through us because he's inside of us, not because of us, but because Jesus lives inside of us. So God asks us to do only what he can do. The words God gives you over your life will be tested. So God gives you a, what's a rhema word? Just to briefly explain that, just a kind of like a now word. Maybe it's a word he spoke to you in your quiet time about something like uh, Jessica. When we were dating, the Lord spoke to her one weekend. I was at the Georgia-Florida game. This was the year 2000 because it was the last time I went down there. And uh, I was like, man, this is too hot for October down here. But uh, anyways, and so that weekend, you know, I, I felt like I needed to break up with Jessica. But that same weekend, she goes for a run, and the Lord says, Travis is your husband. After that weekend, it was like all Hades broke loose in our relationship. Because I come back, I think we're supposed to be friends. <laughs> and she gets this word from now. She never told me until after we were engaged that the Lord spoke this to her. We break up. That weekend I broke up with her. I was leaving her apartment. And I heard this, uh, Josiah, come help me out, man. This is my son, Josiah Gay. This is his first Sunday in big church. Yeah. Ella, too. There, Ella, stand up, baby. We love you. <laughs> so I was walking out of Jessica's apartment, and I, heard, and I heard this voice say, you will not marry this woman. And it was like somebody poking me in the chest. When, that, when they said that words, all right, thank you. That was amazing. <laughs> he says, you will not marry this woman. And I was like, I'm just, I just broke up with her. Who's talking about getting married? <laughs> and so I, I thought I was really young in the Lord. I'd just only been walking with him like three or four months. And so I thought this was God. So for like a year and a half, all these other signs would be pointing towards marrying Jessica, but I had this one, nevermore. You will not marry this woman. And I was, I'm like, God, but you said I'm not going to marry this woman. And then finally it hit me. I was like, maybe that wasn't God. <laughs> and then I thought about the, 
the fingers in the chest. God doesn't talk to you like that. That's the voice of the accuser. That's, the, that's accusatory, shame-filled. You'll not marry this woman. And it, it really sounded like that. And so, but Jessica, was she tested by the word that God gave her? Because here she is. I broke up with her twice, actually. I broke up with her when we weren't even dating. We, I broke up with her that first time, and then like eight months later, I was like, listen, we're really not going to get married. And then, I, I won't expose Jessica. I'll just say, uh, but she, here's Jessica. Now, what, this is what happened. This was actually the turnaround that happened. That in the spirit, you know, in the spirit, there's stuff going on, right? You know, you can actually release people in the spirit by your choices. Number one, through forgiveness. Secondly, giving them over to God. Parents have to do this all the time. So she went to a dude ranch out in Wyoming with her dad, riding horses. God had spoken to her, Travis is gonna be your husband, and yet at this dude ranch, she said, you know what, God, I'm good. If I'm not married to him, I'm good. All I need is you. Guess what happened when she came back? Travis had a revelation. <laughs> Maybe this is my wife. But did God, the word of God, test Jessica? Do you think it purified her heart during that time? Yeah. It purified her to be like, all I need is you, Jesus. It purified her to purity of devotion to the Lord but yet she still got the promise. So this happened with Abraham. You know, he had, to get, if, he had to give up his son Isaac, even though Isaac was the promise. And God tested Abraham's heart. God will test you. It's just what good fathers do, right? A good father is not gonna put his son behind the wheel of a car if he's never done it before. Because you know that, you're going to kill yourself. So God tests you because he actually loves you and he wants you to give you more. Now, the great thing about God is you don't fail tests. You just get to take them over again. Now, the part, I, I don't want to keep taking the same test over and over again. But the good thing is, is if you've actually gone around and around a mountain, you know, there's this thing that um, actually heard Brian Johnson's talking about this, but when, you, uh, when they launch satellites into orbit, they actually have it orbit, or they send like a, uh, what's that, a Hubble telescope. Say they're sending the Hubble telescope out into the solar system. They'll have it orbit the Earth, and that orbit, once they send it out, the orbit actually propels it to where they want it to go. So even if you've been going around the mountain many, many times, that moment you decide to get out of that, to choose a different way, to trust God, he can actually propel you further and accelerate, accelerate you to where you need to go and catch you up. God can actually catch you up. That's what he did with me. I used to write in my Bible my name on, in the dust. And then when I, when I chose to trust him, I had two years where I would, I would read the Bible five or six hours a day, and it, and it was not a burden or a labor or a discipline. I was just like, man, I want the word. 
And that's, I felt like he just gave me this grace to catch up. He accelerated me to catch me up to where he actually wanted me to be at that age in my life. And then testing produces depth. Depth produces strength. Oak root systems get stronger after every storm. Perseverance is, is a, a key attribute, and it's actually a work of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, sometimes called long-suffering, long depending on your translation. But the seed that's in good soil, these are the ones that hear the word in an honest and good heart, hold it fast, and bear fruit with repentance. So that's a quality of the good soil, which we're going to get to in just a second. Romans 5 and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. Did you know as you mature, as you, as you gain in character and integrity, your hope levels increase? You get more hopeful. So a good sign of maturity is how hopeful are you? How much hope do you have? How, how much thanksgiving is in your mouth? <laughs> flee from these things you man of God and pursue righteousness godliness, faith, love perseverance and gentleness we pursue perseverance the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles I'm telling you um, the greater authority God gives you in the kingdom you you're more the servant of all that you, you are. And so uh, don't look at, uh, you know, anyone who's an apostle or prophet, and they may look like a uh, superstar in the Christian world or whatever. I'm telling you, everybody has, a, everybody has a cross that they have to carry. Everybody has to to follow the Lord and, and, and apostles particularly um, have had to endure with perseverance. Now I wanna talk about the half heart. And others are the ones in whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word. But the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So this, you have the activity of Satan, the activity of your flesh. Now this is the activity of the world. By all appearances, the wheat stalk looks healthy and good, but it's actually producing no grain. This is what it's, it, Jesus says in, in the parable. It says this, it doesn't produce grain. Other ways to describe this, riding the fence, lukewarm, compromised. Because this is the way of the world. When you're in a war, you can't be double-minded. And you're in a war. If, I, if me and Brian Pulliam are in a, in a war together, and I'm just, I'm not quite sure if, if Brian is devoted to the cause, I might get shot in the back. If we're, if we're fighting back-to-back, -back, but... Or, or vice versa, if I'm, not, if I'm not quite sure I'm devoted to the cause, then I might leave Brian exposed. 
And you, because in war, you've got to be, you have to know what you're fighting for. And you can't be double-minded about that. And there is a way that God, the, the good news is the kingdom of heaven advances every day. The gospel increases every day. And that's what we're warring against. We're, we're, the war is the devil saying, no, it's not. Never more. Never more. The gospel's not advancing. Never more. No. The, but the Bible says, devil, Colossians 1, the gospel is increasing every day. Isaiah 9 says there will be no end to the increase of his kingdom. Even when we're all in eternity, Jesus has come back, it's all fulfilled. His kingdom will still be increasing. So when you're in a war, you cannot be double-minded. Jesus demonstrated his commitment to us on the cross. And so are there areas in our life that we're leaving Jesus exposed? Are we giving Jesus our lives? Hypocrisy and self-righteousness are enemies of the cross. When I was in college... I, to, I, I told people I was a Christian, and, and I was, but I um, didn't have a lot of good fruit. <laughs> I had conviction in my life. I knew what was right and what was wrong, but I was in rebellion. And I had a friend that wasn't a believer, and her roommate was Muslim, and she said, her, talking about her Muslim roommate, she said, she's more devoted than you are. She doesn't drink. She doesn't have sex. You do all that stuff. And I went, you're right. <laughs> so that's all I could say. Because <laughs> I was a hypocrite. And it's an enemy of the cross. Self-righteousness. That's the plague on America right now, across the aisle. <laughs> Self-righteousness. It's an enemy of the cross. And it says about this, their fruit does not mature. This is about growing up in love, knowing the Father so we can represent him well. I talked about Jack Frost. Whenever he would sin against his anyone, but particularly his children, but he would, he would come to them and he would say, forgive me for not representing love well. Forgive me for not representing love well. And that's how he would repent to his kids when he would make a mistake. And then lastly we, is the whole heart. But those that are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and a hundredfold. As for that in the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So the whole heart receives the word of the Lord and plants it into their life. They build their life around the truth. They approach God with an honest heart. I'm telling you, this is a huge key to encountering the Lord.